Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And it doesn't get much better than enjoying a great book filled with drama, a few laughs, and more than its share of twists and turns. So that brings us to our guest today, Keith Froelreich. Keith has authored and published two books, as well as over 250 newspaper columns and numerous blogs. He writes historical fiction, humor, satire, social commentary, and all about the good, the bad, and the oops of cooking. In fact, his first book is called A Guy's Guide to Domestic Engineering. But Keith is joining us today to share all about his latest novel, and that's called Blackberries Are Red When Green, and I can't wait to hear all about it. So welcome, Keith. Great to be here, Arlene. Well, let's begin uh, so that we can get kind of an understanding of what the book's about. Can you give us a brief overview and perhaps a little bit about what led you to write about the topic? Well, I'll give you a little bit from the back of the book um, as a good way to start. Um, In less than a month in 1960, two murders traumatized the sleepy village of Adams Creek in north central Indiana. Over the three years leading up to the murders, young Kurt Ballman's world had been rocked by the loss of his dad, his best friend, and his precious dog, leading him to doubt the existence of God. A year after losing his father, a retired Pullman porter and a founder of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, Dutch Clemens, moved into a small shack across the river from the small Bauman farm. Change colored the air. So, yeah, that's I didn't read all from the back, but the, the genesis of the book, uh, I wrote maybe 15 years ago um, a sort of description of where I grew up. And I did it probably for family historical purposes, but I tried to write it with some flair and humor and things, and it just sat there. It didn't have a story. And when I finished uh, my work with a nonprofit organization, I always need projects. So I was looking around for my next project. I pulled it out again, and I looked at it. And then what I had done over the years in going back to Logansport, Indiana, which is where I graduated from high school, I kept visiting the County Historical Society. And it was there I learned a history about the area that I knew nothing of while growing up. It's extraordinary train history. It was the second largest train center in Indiana for a long time. And then I learned about the Pullman Porters, which I knew nothing of. So I did some research, and I found this book uh, by Larry Dye, D-Y-E, called uh, Rising, uh, Rising Up from the Rails or something like that. And I read that, and it was amazing. Um, so I thought, okay, let's think about a story here. And I had someone that I grew up with who was a retired railroad fireman, a, a, a Caucasian, who lived across the river. His name was Dutch. So I thought, what if I made Dutch the retired Pullman porter? Okay, now that gets more interesting. Uh, And then what if I um, have the boy's father die when he's nine years old? So he's he's in need of a new friend and a new father figure. It's pretty lonely out on the farm uh, most times. And so I did that. And so then I said, okay, then I need a plot and I need to do that. And so I just kind of I I had the genesis of the story in about two weeks, and then I basically wrote to that story, that plot. 
My gosh, what a fascinating history of how the book came to into being. And I'm sure that, you know, there were aspects of you growing up in that general area that you drew from. Yes, yes. I um I like to say the book is about coming of age. It's clearly about color, just thinking about the title and the Pullman Porter as a main character. Uh, it's also about place um, and setting. And so clearly when I'm describing the place and the goings on on life on that small farm and in that area, that clearly is from my memory and most of it's true. Um, so yes, I grew up on a small farm next to a river. Um, we, uh, I was bused all my life into the, to the small city high school. Uh, and then I graduated from there when I was uh, at 18. I, um, a year later, I ended up in the singing group up with people because I was a singer and a performer. And then, um, and then I was drafted and I ended up in Frankfurt, Germany. And while there, uh, my wife, my future wife came through with one of the cast. And we became friends and started writing. And then after I got out of the Army, I came out to Southern California where she had gone back to UCLA. A year later, we were married, and we've lived here for 50 years. (laughs) Well, referring back to the book and the title, that title is quite intriguing, and I don't want you to have to give too much away, but what does Blackberries Are Red When Green refer to? It refers to the deception of color. Um, it's sort of like uh, don't judge don't judge a book by its cover, don't judge a person by the color of their skin. So this is definitely a book about the deception of color, and it's interesting where that came from. It came from my stepfather, who was visiting one time about 20 years ago, and he mentioned just in passing. We were, I don't know what we were talking about, but he said, well, you know, blackberries are red when green. I went right into my office and wrote it down, thinking that could be the title of a book. And so um, as, you, as, as, as your readers and uh, listeners know, when you're reading a book, you're kind of always curious where the title came from. Well, it's always in there someplace. And when you note it, you kind of smile and say, ah, there it is. Well, I've got it in my book, and it's really quite – it's actually in the second chapter. Oh, my gosh. Well, that, I mean, because it's such a, it, it opens up a thought, all, all these thoughts. But thank you for sharing that, because that really does go to a, a major theme in the book. And speaking of major themes, one, uh, you'd mentioned them several times, the Pullman Porters. And a lot yes. of us have a vague idea of who the Pullman Porters were. But why don't you give us a more distinct background sure. and how that re- you know relates more to the book? Yes, well, um, because of the train history of the area, then that led me to the Pullman Porters, and they were essentially the first African-American middle class. They grew, it was, uh, the, the company was formed by George Pullman right after the Civil War, and I think he lived to uh, almost the end of the 20th century, and so um, they became known as the Pullman Porters, and he hired these people from the recently freed slaves in the South because he figured that they would be, uh, they would be um, able to provide the servitude, if you will, that he needed in servicing the cars. They would, live, they would do this for small wages, and they would consider that they had actually improved their life, and that kind of was true. Uh, but it came kind of a new form of servitude over the years in terms of how he abused them in terms of the number of hours per, per month 
you know, essentially 10 cents an hour in wages. But a new thing called TIP had come to the United States, and TIPs are what the Pullman porters essentially survived on for most of their early years. Uh, they, they grew to about 10,000 total porters, and uh, they struggled. They started in 1925 to form a union. It took them 12 years, and they were finally successful in 1937, the first black union in the country, and then things started to improve. Um, they still had to grovel and do all kinds of things for tips. Everybody called them George uh, because nobody wanted to bother with anybody's names. If you call the, oh, the plantations in the South, the plantations in the South, they used to call the slaves by the name of the owner. And so they did that with George Pullman. And so they called them George. And of course, the worst label was Nigger George. And so I have uh. this Pullman Porter character relate all these stories to the boy and the family around the supper table. Oh, my gosh, Keith. Well, it, it is so evident, not only your passion for the topic, but the amount of research and history that you provide, it, weave in and out of the book, and, and you know, again, the research that you did yourself. Was the book at all intimidating to write? I've met you. You are a white male. <laughs> I mean, you are yes. writing about very uh, yeah, yes. racially charged themes. Sure. Well, yes, and that's, I took care of that by having the story told first person by the boy. Um, and so uh, the dialogue then is, is fairly, you know, was, well, it wasn't easy to write, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but um, the first person of the boy, and the boy probably now age 40 looking back and reflecting. So it's kind of a combination of a backward look and then in-the-moment dialogue uh, from the boy's eyes and perspective. So I didn't, I, I would never try to put myself behind the eyes of an African-American and speak their voice. I just think, you know, writers like me should never do that. I don't even like to do that when it terms to, t tries to be a woman's voice. Um, you can do that in third person. Uh, but so through the eyes of the boy, I was scared to write dialogue. Um, and I didn't think I could. But when I put myself in the, behind the eyes of Kurt, um, and, and it became a little easier and a little clearer. The other thing is when I thought about Kurt's voice, you'll love this, I thought of two people. I thought of Forrest Gump, and I thought of Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. And so wow. there's, the innocent, there's the innocence of Forrest, and, of course, at 10 years old, a boy is pretty innocent. And there's a little bit of the uh, smart, smartness, and curiosity and a little precociousness of Scout. Um, and so I made, I made Kurt very curious and always asking questions and pinning his mother down. Why is this? Why is that? He, I have a lot of fun with religion as he's asking questions about religion because the mother is very, very devout and they go to church every Sunday. Oh, my gosh, Keith. Well, it sounds, I mean, this book is just going to be such a fabulous experience for anybody out there to read uh, with all that you have put into it. So have you thought about what you would like your readers to take away from the book? Or what, are the, what are the themes, the major impact that you would like to have the book to have? Um, the, yeah, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the... Keep learning about people who aren't like you. Do some work. I mean, one of the things this book points out, and I kind of make 
a story about it, about how much, what a great history lesson that Kurt got fishing down that riverbank and around the, the family supper table. Uh, he got a history that he never would have, did not learn and would never learn in, in school in the history books. And so um, they, they just don't talk about these kinds of things. So you have to go a little bit further. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we move forward that, um, you know, those issues aren't dead by any long shot. And we need to keep making ourselves aware and trying. You can never walk in another person's shoes. But make the attempt to try to understand. There are bad people everywhere, so I don't mean to sugarcoat this, but um, it's, it's very important in terms of, you know, we're a diverse country, and, you know, it's important that we be nice to each other and we get along and we give people the benefit of the doubt until proven wrong. Uh, so, so it's about that. It's also clearly a story about the trajectory of the boy's life, and it's not disclosed until the end what he became. And it's very easy when I write what he became for you to call, to look back and connect the dots, because it's actually the story is really about his journey. Keith, it just sounds amazing. Uh, I want to let everybody know you have a website. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you, your work, take a look at this book, and, of course, A Guy's Guide to Domestic Engineering. Yes, well, the website is keithgrowreich.com, and I apologize, my name isn't Keith Smith, so it's hard to remember, yes. but the last, name, the last name is spelled F as in Frank, R-O-H-R-E-I-C-H. So on keithgrowreich.com, you can, you can, there's a link to the book on Amazon. They also have Kindle. Uh, there is my latest blogs. I'm blogging for medium.com, and there is a link at the bottom of the pages to my Twitter and Instagram accounts, and my author's page on Facebook, so you can keep up with my projects. I do have several writing projects in the future. Well, it sounds like you are keeping yourself very busy, so are you working on anything extra special you want us to know about right now? Well, there is going to be a sequel to Blackberries, um, and uh, the only thing I will tell the reader is if you buy the book, it's, there's a name that's introduced in the very last sentence of the epilogue, and I'm thinking about following his life. So that would be, and that would tie back sometimes flashbacks to this story or, or this place anyway. The other one, as you know, I, I like to write humor, and uh, I'm a pretty good social observer. So it'd be a book of essays, sort of a blend between David Sedaris and and um, Dave Barry, um, and I've tentatively <laughs> called it another. I've tentatively called it another day above ground. <laughs> oh, Keith. Well, I wish you all the best with those <laughs> upcoming projects. And this, of course, this wonderful book. And I just want to thank you so much for giving us not only your time, but sharing a, about this latest, and I'm going to call it a must-read, because it truly sounds like it is. Blackberries are red when it's green. Uh, when green, sorry. I better get that right if I'm going to recommend it. Blackberries are hey, red when, when green. It took me a while. I kept flip-flopping the green and the red for a long time, and I finally got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for your understanding with that, Keith. It's been such a treat. Thanks again. Thank you, Eileen. 
Well, and I just want our listeners out there to make sure you check out Keith's website. Uh, again, his last name is spelled F R O H R E I C H. Keith Froreich, and uh, make sure you take a look at those books on on Amazon or wherever. You, it, uh, again, follow the links on his website. And this last one, Blackberries Are Red When Green, has it all because it combines family drama, laughter, mystery, history, all into this amazing story. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.